0: Back. Welcome back to another episode of Kingdom Order Principles. I'm your host, Brother Malcolm, and I'm joined as always by Sister Deborah B and Elder Nkinji. How are you all doing this evening?
1: Doing well. Thank you. Doing well as well. I just awesome. said off uh you know before we started that I had eaten some of my smothered uh turkey wings. So I'm feeling pretty good about now. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's good stuff.
0: I know we're on a tangent real quick, but just <laughs> to just a little warming up. But did did you cook the
1: some other tree wings? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh I wow. did myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: nice. All right. All right. Okay. I have to keep that in mind. You know, next time, you know, I might have a fellowship. I have right. to, you know, make, make a request. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome. So that's good stuff. All right. Um, thank you all again for joining us as we continue to um discuss biblical church government. As you've been following us in this uh, series, we've been touching a lot of a lot of good points and a lot of things that need to be set in order, hence the kingdom order principles, the things that we really do need to discuss as the church uh, continues to grow and uh, desires to be more in alignment with the Most High. So we've been going down this list of why has the church become less effective? Mm-hmm. And for those um, who haven't watched previous previous episodes, you can go back and hear uh, the topics of the de-emphasis of spirit baptism in our previous episode, Forsaking the Church's Foundational Elements. So please go back and listen to those if you want uh, you know, more detailed explanation of those topics. This evening, we will be covering Focusing on Congregants Rather Than Disciples. That's Focusing on Congregants Rather Than Disciples. And the scripture that's referenced here is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And I'm going to read that real quick and then hand it over to Elder Kinji to start to give us a little understanding of how this, this topic or, or this, this issue is causing the church to become less effective. And so the scripture, again, is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And I'll be reading from the King James, King James uh, version of the Bible. Go ye therefore and teach all nations... Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen.
1: Amen. If you were to read that in other translations or versions, you would see the word disciples, make disciples. What Yahawashai. Yehoshua, Jesus the Christ, was telling the uh, apostles that what you're to do is to inculcate the things into believers that I've that I've spent time teaching you, and that would make you a disciple. Meaning that these people are hearing the the whole gospel, as it were, and it's not a matter of going to listen to a sermon. It's not a matter of uh, picking a congregation based on uh, various likes and dislikes, but you become a disciple of the Most High, one who leans in, leans the ear, and causes, causes change within them rather than just hearing things that they choose to agree or choose to disagree with and because the the institutional church has focused less on making disciples than it than it has on making sure that the congregations are filled, that has caused trouble. If you have disciples, you have people who read the scripture. You have people who deny themselves. You have people who will do exactly what the Scripture tells them to do, and that causes the called-out ones to be effective. When people are examples of what they preach, it's far more effective than people just talking about uh, the style of service at a particular place and causing others to come. Completely different thing.
0: That's interesting. Um, One that you're making the differentiation between congregants and disciples, because um, for a lot of people, they don't see a difference. You know, mm-hmm. like a congregant is a disciple. If you're showing up to church or if you're showing up to Bible study, you know, <laughs> for somebody who's like, I don't see the difference. I, you know, I, I read the Bible sometimes or, you know, I, I do my <laughs> daily bread and I show up and I participate in church activities. I, I don't see how that doesn't make me not a disciple. You know, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to, you know, become a better Christian. What what would you say to that, Elder and Kenji, if somebody was like, well, wait, hold on. You're you're saying I'm not a disciple because I attend church every Sunday? Like I don't understand. Can you, could you break that down a little bit more?
1: Absolutely. As we've said before in previous uh episodes, you know, us being of the Western persuasion and native speakers or Maybe not native, but speakers of English, we understand that words have multiple, multiple meanings, multiple definitions. And so a congregant, the word congregant in and of itself does not differentiate it from disciple. But when you look at each word, congregant versus disciple, you start to see that there is variation. A congregant can be a disciple but a congregant is not necessarily a disciple because a congregant literally means one who attends or one who shows up attendance and being in <laughs> being somewhat near you know in terms of sound does not make you a disciple um a disciple is one who has committed their life to Christ they have determined that their own their own view of their life has to be secondary to the life that Jesus says that they must live. Jesus says that, um, essentially, you're not my disciple unless you lose your life. If you lose your life and take up the life that I tell you to take up, you're a disciple. Whereas a congregant can be far from that level of personal choice and involvement. A congregant can be one who comes and listens, gives consideration to, and then leaves. And after leaving, they can determine fully uh, that they, they enjoyed what they heard and continue the style of life they've always had. So a congregant can indeed be a disciple but a congregant is not a disciple just because they show up.
0: No, yeah, that, that, that's good. Thank you again for breaking that down. I think another question that kind of comes to mind um, as we're, at least at this point, identifying the difference between congregants and disciples, mm-hmm. maybe you both are aware that, you know, there are some people who, I guess, depending on uh, their perspective or their opinion about the institutional church, or the church in general, they often say, you know, I, I kind of just do church by myself. You know, I kind of just read the Bible and I stay at home and, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't do the church thing. I'm not really a mm-hmm. congregate, you know, but you know, some people have different, different opinions about that. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, how can you really be a disciple if you're not part of a, a local church body? Like, how can, how can you actually, if you're not a congregant somewhere, you know, how are you really being a disciple? And some people uh, may reference, you know, the scriptures, Hebrews 10, mm-hmm. uh, 25, not forsaking the fellowship of the brethren and things like that. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you say you're a disciple, you say you're a believer, but you don't have a church home, you don't, you know, fellowship on a regular bla- basis. How, how are you really a disciple if you're not actually being a congregant, if you're not being at the, at the church house um, twice a week, okay. or, you know, mm-hmm. at least on certain holidays? Like, so what would be your <laughs> response to that, Elder and Kenji?
1: Well, that's that's a good question. I certainly had in mind that, that passage that you brought up, Hebrews 10, I think it is verse 25, you know, the scripture tells us not to forsake assembling together. Now, assembling together doesn't necessarily mean that you're meeting at a church house. It means that you're assembling with other disciples of varying levels of maturity for the point or the perspective of, uh, becoming a better disciple. So, um, I don't find myself in a church house any days of the week. And, you know, for some, maybe that means now that they shut off the, they shut off the video or, or turn, <laughs> turn the podcast off, but, but let, give me another second to explain. Um, I fellowship with believers, and I fellowship with believers to hear and to dispense that which I have received from the Most High. I read the scripture daily. I pray daily. I deny myself daily. And so those things that the scripture speaks to, that identifies what a disciple is, that's my manner of life. And because the nature of God is love, 1 John, I believe it's uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and or 8, if I'm (laughs) not mistaken, but the scripture says that God is love. And so if you are spending time with the Most High, you are having the person of love influence you day by day. And love is frustrated all by itself. It requires uh, some level of fellowship. It doesn't have to be in a church house, and it doesn't have to be Wednesday and Sunday or or Wednesday and Saturday, depending upon the type of uh, church house one might attend. So again, the scripture makes it clear that we should assemble together. This idea, this institutional idea of where one assembles has less to do with the scripture than it has to do with tradition. And with that explanation, I think that kind of bears out more what a disciple is. A disciple leans in to hear with the Most High is saying, leans into the Scripture. And so, the disciple understands that fellowshipping together is elementary and elemental, and he and she, they do that. The type of building, you know, the particular day, they understand that that's less important. Last last, uh, point about this, when you read in the book of Acts, the Scripture talks about the the, uh, people meeting at Solomon's porch, Solomon's porch, uh, at least the apostles were there and people met with them at times, but, but Solomon's porch, that was the outside of the temple. <laughs> it, it wasn't inside. And so, and so this idea that we must go to a particular, uh, facility that has been dedicated for the purpose of believers' meetings, I don't find justification for it in the scripture.
2: Elder and Kenji, um, I have a question about yes, discipleship, but I guess it falls under discipleship more on salvation. When one becomes saved or the process of becoming saved, is it a repeat after me format? And where does traditional salvation come from? we see on TV or have experienced in church that people go up into to the front and they repeat after the deacon or the pastor to become saved. Is that the way we should be presenting salvation and everyone that recites this script or this, this famous salvation format, are they saved?
1: (laughs) Okay, let's go there. I laugh because uh, Sister Deborah B asked questions that I'm sure most people have, but she asks them in such a way as if one were wanting to squirm in their answer, she makes it very difficult. Um, I'm not one to squirm, so I, I find enjoyment in the way that she she poses her questions. Okay, so what is salvation <laughs> salvation with respect to well let me let me define it this way the scripture tells us that uh salvation is more than just escaping hell okay but initially that's what we're all concerned about i know when i uh <laughs> when i came to to the lord it was about not Uh, finding myself in hell one day I didn't know anything about spiritual maturity I didn't know anything about being saved from my own bad habits and that is a level of salvation as well but I didn't know anything about that nor did I care about it I just wanted to I wanted to be to, to feel and understand that once my my physical eyes closed for the last time, they my spiritual eyes wouldn't awaken amongst flame and smoke and pain and that and that thing. And so uh, let's start there. Does the scripture uh, somehow bear out this this traditional um, methodology of either going to the front of a room, every eye closed, every every head bowed, you know, some people repeat that phraseology while watching someone on television or listening to someone on the radio. Here's what I say. People tend to look at, I believe it's Romans chapter 10 as the model for quote unquote salvation from hell. Okay. Where the scripture says that, you know, when someone confesses out of their mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know, salvation comes to them. In fact, I want to turn there because the way that it is uh, quoted in the scripture, I think, can be somewhat problematic, okay, in in terms of uh, people using that as the primary means for coming to Christ. Romans chapter 10— verse 9, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, but it reads that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I believe in the King James, it says, thou shalt be saved. What's interesting to to me is that it does not say that you are saved or repeating this wording doesn't equate immediately to salvation. I think people should give that some thought. But the scripture tells me this, the scripture itself, the word of God is what causes a man to be saved. And when I say a man, I mean a a man and a woman. It's the scripture. Let me explain to you. When, When Jesus appeared on the scene, after his temptation in the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and the scripture says and afterwards he was thirsty which gives us the impression he uh he was hungry rather but it doesn't say thirsty which which gives us the impression that he drank the devil tempted him you know in in several ways and afterwards at the end Uh, Christ said, uh, you know, get the hints, you know, worship God and him only, right? And the scripture tells us that the angels came and ministered to him. And you read from there on, the scripture says that he commanded men or humans everywhere to repent, all right? So repentance is key to salvation not the repetition of Romans chapter 10, verses eight and nine. Okay? Repentance. And what does repentance mean? It doesn't mean saying sorry. Oh, oh, Lord, L-A-W-D, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, forgive me my warped sense of humor, but but uh, one should be sorry. But repent means to change your mind it means to change your mind. And so, what changes your mind about how you're living and how you should go from that juncture of a changed mind forward is the Scripture. The Word of God causes you to go, oh, the Most High doesn't like this. I need to change my mind. Now, if you you really change your mind, your behavior— at some point will follow amen but yeah at that point of learning that you're in danger of being separated from the most high forever and spending in eternity in separation and in pain and anguish oh yeah the scripture the scripture brings that to you and you you want to change your mind about how you're living your own life at that point and you may express sorrow for some of the behavior That that you've done. But what starts salvation is not the repetition of Romans 10, 8, 9, okay? It's the revelation that the Most High gives you from the Scripture of your current state as it relates to nearness with Him, all right? And repentance is, oh, I better change my mind. Now, the scripture shows us in John chapter three that a changed mind avails you to something. Uh, We talked about, we've talked about this before. I think it's time to engage it a little bit. Uh, Brother Malcolm, if you would turn to John chapter three, please, and we'll talk this through, but John chapter three tells us that this salvation process starts with understanding that I need to repent. I need to change my mind. And Jesus tells us that a changed mind avails you to being able to see the kingdom. And once you see the kingdom, he shows you that there's some things to do to enter the kingdom. All right? Now, when, when we look at these things, it's not that you have to complete every step to be saved, as it were. Okay, what saves you is you changing your mind and just and saying, "Look here, I need to follow the Most High." All right, are you there, uh, brother Malcolm? In John chapter three.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am. Do you want me to start um, from from verse one or from a particular uh, particular? Start verse? from
1: verse one for now, and we'll we'll walk through it a little bit.
0: Okay, this is John chapter three, verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him.
1: Stop right there, brother. Let me, let me, we're going to do like, like some churches do, a reader and a stopper and, you know, <laughs> but, but Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay. Okay. Uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, as it were. What is that? Look it up, Sanhedrin, okay? Um, He said that we know that you've come from God. Now, if you've read the gospels, you understand that when he says we, he's not talking about all of the Sanhedrin. He's not talking about all of the scribes, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, because they hated him. When Jesus spoke truth, Uh, One place he's about to heal somebody on a Sabbath day. And when he does, they took counsel immediately how they could destroy him. Okay. But this man says that we know that you come from God because nobody can do the miracles that you're doing, except God is with him. I'm telling you right now that he was already born again. Why? Because he knew from the scriptures that the son of righteousness would arise with healing in his wings malachi healing in his wings uh the 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 Hebrew word there literally means fringes that's why the woman said if i could only but touch but the hem of his garment all right so he had a a change of heart and he has changed his mind about this man who some of his compatriots were calling uh, basically a demon, one who's working by a demon. Go ahead further, brother.
0: Continuing from uh, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.
1: Except a man be born again. See, when we talk about salvation, that's where we need to talk about, being born again. And the scripture tells us that a man is born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Amen? So here is this guy who, you know, um, if he were like all of his uh, compatriots, he would hate Jesus. But because of the word of God, he had been born again he could see the kingdom if you repent if you have a change of mind from the scriptures and begin to see what's true in the kingdom as opposed to seeing it falsely thinking that this man is moving by the demonic powers right but now he sees him as he's the he he's a uh, he's from god Jesus is saying, you've been born again because you can see the kingdom. Continue, please, brother.
0: Continuing from verse four. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's room and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God.
1: Lord, oh, it's so beautiful how clearly these things are stated. Here's what we should know when you're first born again, you can be very confused about a lot of things. He was born again, he he could see the kingdom, but when Christ told him about being born again, he started thinking only from the perspective of the natural. That is why when you are born again, you must fellowship with other believers, you must read the scripture you must pray you must fast so your understanding grows right and Christ then left from the perspective of seeing the kingdom and talked about entering the kingdom if you're born again you can see it if you want to enter it you must be born of the water and of the spirit i think that's enough for today you know i'm sure we'll come back to it but to to close on the answer to your question uh sister Deborah B because you said are they saved if they if they repeat a phrase from Romans 10 8 9 and 10 i forget the verses if you look all, at all three you'll make sure you, that you get it but i'm going to tell you i'm going to tell you plainly just ref, ref, uh repeating a phrase is not what equates to being born again all right I'm not going to say that everyone that has repeated the phrase is not born again because they may have changed their mind about a lot of things and gone on to follow the Lord. Okay, but it is there is no. To use a, 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 you know, a silly word, there is no magic in repeating that phrase. What one has to do to be saved is to repent to change their mind. And the facilitator of the mind change is the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And if you want to fully follow Christ after you've been given the ability to see the kingdom, you need to do what he said to enter it, because being in it fully is more advanced than just seeing it. But salvation is a matter of changing your mind based on what the word of God tells you to do. Amen? Did I leave something out, Sister Deborah? Because if I did, I I know you'll bring it back to me.
2: No, I I think we need a a separate episode for this because I I have additional questions, but I won't tie us up with them. So
1: Okay, Uh then we're gonna do it, I know it.
0: <laughs> uh, i think I think I have a question too but um uh, hopefully it keeps us on ta- keeps us on task and not too far uh off you know like on a tangent but since we were talking about disciples and discipleship mm-hmm. and since uh sister deborah B asked such a a heavy question about salvation mm-hmm. if we're focusing on okay so we're we're looking at congregants and we're looking yeah. at disciples
1: mm-hmm.
0: we know in a very um I don't know if practical is the right word, but very plainly, if somebody says, you know, I'm a congregant of a church. And at some point Uh they're like, I don't go to that church anymore. You know, like they stop being a congregant of that, uh, that assembly or whatever. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Can the same be said for a disciple? Can a disciple at some point choose, Hey, I I no longer, you know, I don't want to be a disciple anymore. And, Mm -hmm. you know, This following Jesus thing, ah, that's for the birds. Like, I don't don't want to do that anymore. And, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the follow-up question that is kind of tied to that is if somebody chooses to, you know, one, if they choose to stop being a congregant and if they choose to stop being a disciple, does that mean that they lose their salvation?
1: (laughs) Let's get into it.
2: That was actually my follow-up question that I was going to hold on. I was going to ask if. Salvation was active. Is it an active
1: okay. thing? Okay. So maybe, maybe possibly the spirit of the living God is engaged in this discussion and what certain things said. And so with that being a possibility, let's further engage these questions, okay? Um, I I found, as I was talking, answering uh, Sister Deborah B's question, that we were, you know, maybe unwittingly giving more definition to the difference between a congregant and a disciple. Because a disciple will change their mind based on the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And if they continue on being a disciple, they will go further, as Christ said, and do what it takes to enter the kingdom. It's good to see it it's better to enter it right you can be a congregant without having made any changes in your thinking on any level all right now to to uh brother malcolm's question uh the one thing that the most high never takes from humanity never and we know that he's all powerful he is omnipotent he could take any and everything away from humanity if he chose to. But the one thing that he will never take is our ability to choose. Because if he takes away our ability to choose, he fundamentally uh, makes us less human. He has created angels. Angels also have the, the ability of choice. But they don't. Get, they don't get any mercy if they make a bad one. They make a bad choice. It's like, oh, that's it, buddy. It's all you get. Why is that? Because they see him every day, all day long. See his power. See his magnificence. See his greatness. See his glory. Experience everything that he is, and yet, and he still gives them choice. Now if they decide you know what as we read in the scripture in some place you know I will be like the most high I will ascend to the mountain of the north I will I will take a seat on the throne and the most high says in response oh you will will you and then his son says I saw Satan falling from <laughs> falling from heaven like lightning right Satan made a choice, and he got an immediate uh, judgment based on that. The Most High knows our frame that we are but dust. The Scripture says, and so He gives us a lot of mercy. Thanks be to God. You know, I'd like to think that I have matured over the decades, and I'm, you know, I think that's true. But I thank God for His mercy. I thank God that I have not matured uh, to such a degree that I'm beyond mercy. (laughs) Amen. And so what the most high does with humans is give them choice. So for a congregant who has attended this, that, and the other uh, place of worship and, you know, has enjoyed the, the, uh, the strengths and weaknesses of, of all, and says at some point you know what i've had enough of this and i'll go do things however they occur to me okay that's his that's his or her choice right um if they've never really had a change of mind based on revelation of the incorruptible seed of of the word of god you know they really have just changed where they're sitting I'll leave that right where it is. But for someone who has who has repented, they've changed their mind. They have begun to follow Jesus. They have begun to accept and ameliorate their lives. And and you know, they've made certain changes. But at a certain point, due to riches, due to not having taken enough interest into understanding the scriptures due to pressures, due to trouble, whatever the case may be, if they so- they decide, uh, I'm not going to follow the most high anymore. I'm just going to follow the dictates of my mind, the sway of culture, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I would say to that person, because one of the doctrines in the institutional church is you know, for the easiest way to state it is once saved, always saved, right? You know, he he will never cast me away. You know, he will never take me out of his hand. Well, I believe that's true, that he will never cast you away, but you can cast yourself away. You can literally, literally pull one of his fingers away and get out of his hand. And if If you have, if you've been taught that that's impossible, I challenge you to read Hebrews chapter six slowly and in multiple versions of the scripture. And if you read that, you cannot conclude that it is impossible to be lost after you have been saved. And it is not a function of God's inability, it's a function of that individual's choice.
0: Oh, that's heavy in in itself. and I, I know, I'm sure that there are, are some listeners uh, or people who are watching online who are probably like vehemently like fighting back against that sure. um, because like you said, it it's pre- it's pretty much it's it's a, it's a very common saying to say that, you know that one saves always save that I- idea. But I think I guess very often people don't think that the most high really does give us choice. So of course like if you are committing to him or as you've been describing what a disciple does if you're leaning into him if you're trying to hear from him and be close to him no you he won't lose you you know because you are in his hand you know and he he's got you but if you choose to stop leaning into him and choose to lean somewhere else or go somewhere else he's not going to stop you which is which is which is interesting because you know sometimes Um, In church culture, they like to describe uh, God or the Holy Spirit as like a gentleman, you know, so like he's not going to really force you to do anything or whatever, whatever. But I'm sure that even even if you were choosing to leave, he's going to try to convince you to stay. Absolutely. Um, It seems like this whole discipleship uh, or being a disciple thing, it really does come down to choice. You know, it comes down to what do you ultimately desire. Do you desire the most high? And, you know, you, you started uh, to explain as we were looking through John 3, that there is this initial revelation that changes your mind. And the most high gives you the choice to say, well, what do you want to do with this revelation? Do you, do you want to continue to lean in and learn more about it? Or do you want to just, you know, kick it aside and not pay attention to it?
1: We we mentioned earlier in this in this uh, segment that he is love, and I'm convinced that although he really doesn't need us, he loves us. And so he cannot help, but want our fellowship and want the best for us. Okay. The scripture tells us that um, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, repentance, repentance. Okay. He's not willing that anyone should perish. Uh, Matthew 25 tells us that, Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Plain statement. Now, here's the deal. Um, The word angel, and it's very close to the word apostle, and we'll get into that in some uh, some future discussions. But the word angel essentially means messenger. What we need to understand is our life is a message. And at a certain point, if you are determined... That your life shows the message of disobedience to God, hatred for his way, and uh, just rebelliousness and stiff-neckedness. What people think in this, this, this world that's all about the individual, they're thinking, well, I'm not hurting anyone. Wrong. You were born with a role to influence people. And if the message of real life is rebellion, being stiff-necked, not following after God, being being filled with lust and hate, at a certain point, if you don't respond to his, his uh, efforts to woo you back, he may decide to judge you for the message of your life. Now, I will say this. it's, it's I, I believe it's difficult to lose your salvation. One, because he's so very persuasive. He's so very persuasive because we all have left him and he's always brought us back or attempted to. And, you know, if you spend any time with him uh, and you walk away, he allows you to feel the cold, cold world you know, in my mind, I I heard earth, wind and fire. That's the way of the world. You know, the world, the world is horrible. And if you've come to him, you've experienced love. You've experienced care. You've experienced revelation on your, in your inward parts, right? And if you leave him, he'll let you experience the opposite and, and, and try to woo you back. And the decision is yours. I know when I left him, I was, it was like, Ooh, it's nasty out here. Ugh. And he was wooing me back. I said, yeah, let, let me, let me, let me get back. Let me get back. Can I get back? I can get back. Okay. I'm back. Right. <laughs> and and that's his attitude. I'm sure with everyone, but we've talked about in, in, in this uh, talk, this uh, series, we've talked about, we have an enemy and he has power. So when you step away from the most high, you step into the, the uh the realm of the enemy, and he wants to deceive you. If you're tricked, you may not recognize the wooing of the most high to bring you back as good. He may give you some of the things you always wanted that you never should have had. And upon receiving those things, you might think, Well, it's better to be with the enemy. You wouldn't probably say it quite that way, but that's what it is. So One can lose their their relationship with the Most High and their standing in his kingdom. One can. Again, read Hebrews 6. Don't, Don't just trust my words, trust the word. Read Hebrews 6. Read it in multiple versions. There is no way you can come away with a full reading of that chapter thinking that there is no way that you can walk away from him and he can judge you as if you weren't with him. Now what I say to you when you read that you will also find that there are a lot of steps you should that that you would have to cross to where you get to the place of being potentially uh in real trouble. But one can lose their salvation. It's not something I like to say. It's not something I like to think about. In fact, the apostle, apostle, after writing these things, he said, but, but we're persuaded of better things concerning you. It's like, I don't even want to think about this regarding you, but it's possible. So, hence, yet again, the difference between a disciple and a congregant. A disciple keeps leaning in, just keeps leaning in, and even if they slide, the scripture tells us he's married to the backslider. He wants to bring you back. But if some would say, well, see, that's why you can't, you, you, you can't fall away. Well, he had a wife once called Israel. And the scripture said he divorced her. Now he also said that, you know, I'm gonna bring up a remnant that I'm going to bring back. And we'll talk about that some in some future future time too. But you see that he did do the divorce. It's in the scripture. So let us not be high-minded. Let us not uh, be lazy. Let us not think that we can do anything and it be acceptable in the royal court of the kingdom. Because it is is not.
0: Um, (laughs) I think just even your last touching on the idea of, you know, God divorcing his people, which in the Old Testament, you know, Old Testament and the New Testament, it calls Israel His chosen people. So, but I, I know we need to, that, that <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other topic. Um, we could discuss, th- that's a lot, because I, I want to dig deeper into that, but I know we don't, we don't have time right now and that's not necessarily <laughs> the focus. Um, oh, we'll
1: get there, brother. We'll get there.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that that's, that's good. I guess wrapping up, the, wrapping up this point and uh, as we're, we're bringing this, this episode to a close. In regards to the bullet point, just as as a saying, focusing on congregants rather than disciples, as yeah. we've described and made the comparison between congregants and disciples, you would think that you know if the church is trying to be in alignment with the Most High and what the Scripture says, you know, go on and make disciples. I guess how and and why would the current church be focusing so much more on congregants than actual disciples?
1: That's the if you're if you're really old like me what i'm about to say will make sense to you that's the $64,000 question <laughs> there was once a game show that was that was the highest amount you could get but anyway yeah that's a great question why would leaders church groups why would you focus on something other than what the most high in the person of Jesus Christ told you to do it's because it goes back to the previous bullet points. You lose sight based on not having been baptized with the spirit. You lose sight because you don't have the, the foundation of the church uh set in place to remind you this is a must. Um, I, I I've quoted something on in previous shows and I I was angry with myself because I couldn't remember where it was. And I think the last time I said, I'm going to remember. (laughs) And, uh, you know, today before we began taping, I said, let me find that scripture and I'll I'll share with you where it is. It's in Romans chapter one, and it's verse five. And I won't read it now, but I'll basically quote. Um, Paul is talking and he's talking about he said he gave us grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith, which tells me grace is not just unmerited favor. I'm sorry, it's not just unmerited favor. Certainly, there are places where that definition fit perfectly. Okay, but grace is also enablement. All right, when you're reading the scripture, if you if you try to uh say that everywhere you see grace, it's referring to um unmerited favor. You'll 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 not understand why the sentence is structured the way that it is. Sometimes grace means enablement. Okay? And God, the Most High, set in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body till we all come, you know, Ephesians 4, 11 through, um, I think 16. I won't quote the whole thing. You read it on your own time, but you get to the place of not focusing on the right things because you don't have that element in your foundation that is enabled to cause you to focus on the obedience to the faith. If you say that that's, if it's unnecessary, you will find yourself given enough time making up stuff or prioritizing on definitions of things that do not match what the scriptures say. And what we have found in the institutional church is that, uh, excuse the crude language, but butts in the seats is what it's all about. And we know better than that.
0: Yeah, th- thank you. Thank you for answering that question, Elder and Kindy. And I, you know, you just mentioned uh, a reference to institutional church. And that reminds me of the conversation, uh, the previous broadcast that we had or previous episodes about that the difference between the institutional church and uh, the e- ecclesia or the, you know, pretty much God's church, <laughs> you know, like the, <laughs> the biblical setup yes. of that. Um, but no, that's, that's as we're making our way down this list. Um, I'm sure for those who are listening, you can see how they kind of build off of each other, how they work hand in hand and how it's important, um, you know, for us to understand why these things are the way that they are. You know, the most high is very, very specific and intentional with the way that he does things. It's not just haphazard. He's not just, you know, figuring it out. It's, it's very strategic and on purpose. And it's, it's important for us to understand that so that we can, you know, follow with him so that we can be disciples so that we can, you know, continue to build the church the way that he wants it built. Um, but Amen. that does require us to follow his orders to follow, uh, you know, and, and be in lockstep with him. Did uh, sister Debor B, did you have any questions before we um, wrap up today's episode or comments?
2: No, I think I'm dead. I don't have any questions <laughs> <laughs> or comments.
1: I chuckled because, uh, I see her, you see her avatar, but I see her and you see my avatar. But while she was considering whether she had questions or comments, she was looking at her notes. (laughs) So she has things to say, but she just thought, you know, maybe for this segment, that's enough. But sister Deborah B, she, she got something for us. No doubt.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I will say I've been a part of church hurt and, you know, I'm in no way, you know, here to condemn the institution, but I want people to know God for who he is and not be a part of a a congregation just for the sake of it. The purpose of us fellowshipping is to learn and to grow together, to get to know who the most high is to know his son and to accept his son as Lord and Savior. And so I may come off hard or, you know, and I try to think of questions that other people may have that are questioning whether or not church is for them. And so I I have other believers in mind that are trying to decide. And so it comes from a great place, you know, just wanting others to heal and to forgive and to move past church hurt and to really get to know god for who he is
1: amen amen
0: that's good stuff um elder and kenji did you have any uh last comments or notes that you wanted to share before we wrapped up uh, today's episode
1: i'll try to be very brief uh i'll start out by saying what what Sister Deborah B said was powerful, and uh, I'm with that one thousand percent. When Brother Malcolm was speaking before Sister Deborah, Sister Deborah uh, um, shared what she had to share about church hurt and getting people to to really see what what what's true, so they can make the right decisions. Brother Malcolm was talking about uh, you know things being that there is a specific order to things. The reason the name of our ministry is Kingdom Order Principles is because order is important. I'll say very briefly, with order, there is a matter of sequence that's very important to God, and there's a matter of relationships that's very important to God. And everything that we're talking about has to do with his sequence and, and the relationships he's put in place. And when we follow those, we excel. That's enough for, for today.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Elder and Kenji and thank you sister Deborah B for being here and the questions and stuff. Cause yeah, your, your questions be, yeah, they're they're good. (laughs) (laughs) They're good. And they're definitely, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who appreciate them. Um, So For those who are watching and listening, thank you. Thank you again for watching and supporting. Um, If you're on YouTube, please like share and subscribe. And if you want, leave a comment, let us know um, your thoughts. Let us know if there is anything that you learned from today's episode that maybe you didn't know about. Um, Let us know. We really, really do appreciate it. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, please leave us a review. You can leave us a review at Apple podcasts. um, You know, Leave us five stars if you're really enjoying the show and um, share it with uh, those uh, that you care about and that you want to continue to have this conversation with. Um, We really do appreciate it. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Please be safe and God bless.
1: Bye bye.